to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone looking forward to a purposeful year in 2020. On today's show, we're going to be talking with someone with living proof that what is one time a major problem for ourselves we can transform this problem and become healing for others. Um, welcome to Food Freedom Radio, uh, Shira uh, Carpenter. Uh, Carpenter, not a problem. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank so you for having me. Tell us a little bit about Living Proof Minnesota. So Living Proof Minnesota is um, helps people with eating disorders find recovery, and it offers a more of a community-based approach to treatment than the traditional treatment settings. And it's really about uh, creating a life for yourself outside of the eating disorder and realizing that your identity isn't just eating disorder, it's more of that, and that there is actually hope for recovery. Great, and also with us is Journey Rogers. Hi, welcome to Food Fear and Radio. So you're an ambassador for this program. Yeah, I actually found this program last summer and I have kind of thrown myself into it and it's done amazing work for my own recovery. And um, I'm just so thankful for Shira and everything that Living Proof MN does. Great. Okay, so a lot of us may not know much about eating disorders. So um, fill us in. Yeah, so eating disorders um, are both a genetic, socioeconomic, um, environmental, and psychological illness. And it's not because of one thing. I think a lot of people think, uh, because this happened to me, I have an eating disorder. But people are actually predisposed for an eating disorder and an event or a trauma or situation triggers the eating disorder to happen. Um, so it's no one's fault. It's not because of bad parenting. I think that's a common myth. But um, the thing that we're trying to kind of tell people from Living Proof Minnesota is that recovery is possible and you don't have to continue living with an eating disorder. So, right, about 50% of eating disorders are attributed to genetics. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have a blame or shame culture, and mm-hmm. and, and that, that blame or shame culture um, is a bummer, man. I just don't <laughs> want to live in it anymore, right? Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> no. So tell us about your personal experience. Journey, what was your personal experience with a eating disorder? Um, well, I went on my first diet when I was nine. Um, I developed young. Um, that was always a big thing for me. All of my friends were really small, and I was like five, four when I was 12 years old. Um, I grew very fast, and I think that played a big part into it. Um I identify as non-binary, and it was always difficult for me to have to deal with coming into this womanhood that I didn't really identify with, um, and just being unhappy with the way that I was, like, growing, and it kind of turned into me trying to, like, stop these, like, natural developments and to, like, change the way I looked to be more boyish, be more you know, whatever, and I was an athlete all my life. I played basketball and volleyball. I tried soccer. I ran track and field, cross country, softball. I did everything, Um, and I rode when I was in college for a little bit before I started treatment for the first time. Um, So I lived with it for a long time before anyone was like, hey, we could get you some help. 
There's two pieces in there. One is um, nine years old and dieting, which seems incredible, yet 40% of nine and 10-year-olds are dieting right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. And, you know, some of that does stem from um, their parents. Like a lot of parents feel like, you know, they need to eat only certain foods or maybe they have only low fat or fat free foods in their house. Um, I remember growing up and even to today, my parents know that I'm in recovery, but my parents eating habits are not ideal for me. And so when I spend a lot of time with them, I have to make sure that I do prepare ahead of time so I'm taking care of my own needs instead of, you know, going eight hours without eating and then having one meal. For me, that doesn't work. But for a long time, I just thought, oh, that's the way you do it. So in addition to founding Living Proof Minnesota, you are an RN um, and um, some other professional experiences. But tell us about your food journey. Oh, oh boy. Um, my um, food issues started when I was about seven years old, and I grew up in um, a physically abusive home. And, you know, I did not get help for a long time. Like Journey said, I was about 19 when I first sought help and realized I had a problem. But looking back, the eating disorder started because I didn't feel like I deserved the food that I associated with positive or good memories. With the abuse, I just felt like, well, you know, I'm being abused, so I might as well take away things that are good because I don't deserve them. And that just sort of spiraled through middle school and high school, um, you know, never eating lunch at school and only letting myself eat certain things. And um, going off to college, I became um, a binge eater, and there was a lot of shame with that. And then um, switching to bulimia, and so it it has run the whole gamut. And you got um, official treatments, and I mean, this became uh, life threatening for you. Yes, it did. Um, I, I tried treatment a couple times and wasn't ready, and just told them, you know, I can figure this out on my own. I got this. I'm, it's not going to be that bad. Um, but the last uh, three years of before I got into recovery, it was pretty serious, and you know, life threatening kind of on death's door. Um, And I tried traditional treatment, and that kind of leads me to why Living Proof MN started, was traditional treatment for me wasn't the best. It was very, um, you know, seclusive and did not really open up my eyes to what's out there in the world or even how to live in recovery. Since being a child, having an eating disorder all the way till I was 30, I had no idea even what it meant to live a normal life. And so treatment for me was just more of sort of the isolation and punishment, and it just didn't serve me so well. So after I realized that that, you know, three-year stint was just repeating itself over and over again and really nothing was changing, um, I kind of had two choices. One was sort of stay there and maybe lose my life or really try to go out on my own and work through my problems. And I decided to leave and really took um, very serious my recovery and working through the core beliefs that I had. And that's what I really work with my mentors on is what is it that's holding you back? What is that like stem from that you don't want to eat or you want to be smaller or you don't like the way you look or why are you punishing yourself? And for me, that was kind of the freeing moment was I don't need to suffer anymore. Hmm. Did you also experience freeing moments? Um, I've actually experienced a lot of freeing moments, like, over the years, both in treatment and out of treatment, um, even in, like, the past 
month, I have tried things that I've never tried before and found out that they actually taste good, which is <laughs> um, always fun. Uh, making, you know, New Year's resolutions that aren't, you know, I'm going to lose this much weight or I'm going to, you know, change my body in a way that, you know, is unnatural. And with January coming up and uh, New Year's Eve, many people do health resolutions. And, and you're saying this, that we have these cultural norms out there. Like it's all of our food issues, like before I was this person, then I became this good person. Oh, no, now I'm a bad person. You know, it's 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 a cultural story that we're living in, and how do we find our own authenticity and our authentic voice to live um, a, a living life? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Not just you know surviving, but thriving. And I think that kind of that buzzword of being authentic and vulnerable has you know the last four or five years has become pretty popular. Um, but it's still really diving into yourself and sort of letting go of that past crap that you have and coming into your own and figuring out what is good for you and not what society is telling you is good for you. So that's that's a big part of, for me, resolutions are more about being yeah. with new people and learning new things than it is about change. Yeah, like last year, I think resolution was to be more authentic to like my true self, which I actually think I've done a lot of good work in. Um, but yeah, I was just talking with Shira in group yesterday about how... And she was like that when people make resolutions or no, it was when you found you like found a thing that was like when you make a resolution, you ask, why is this important? Mm -hmm. And then you go down again and it's like, why is this important? And it's like, you know, why is it important that you lose weight? Because I'm unhappy. And it's like, why is it important that you're happy? You know, it's like gets down to like the core, like this is what's important to you. This part is you know, just how your brain is telling you that you're going to get it, which, you know, you can really never be small enough when you have an eating disorder, and it's just a spiral. Yeah, and and it's how do we wake up to our own freedom to make our choices and not all the messages we get from society? Because if we're having 40% of 9- to 10-year-olds dieting, mm-hmm. you know, what's sitting behind all of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sort of the good and bad foods, you know, that they – and one of the things that I, I think we really need to get away from is, you know, how parents say, well, if you do really well, I'll give you a treat. To me, food is food, right? right. And so whether it's an, a dessert or a vegetable or a fruit or a piece of meat, it's food. It's not a treat or something that you get because you're good. I know someone that really wrestles with extreme obesity and the kid falls and the first thing they do is grab the ice cream cone and get yep. the kid, you know, yep. that, that ice cream for candy. And so food has become sort of a, a soothing, you yeah. know, when things go wrong. Yeah, and kind of this idea that, you know, you only get this treat if you do something good or if you finish your dinner vegetables, you know. Um, I have a nephew who gets more excited for an apple than a bag of Skittles, and (laughs) it's a joy to watch. Um, He's not a normal three-year-old thing, but... um, it's just fun. Maybe he's normal for his own very own three-year-old. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're taking a break. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and the topic today is food disorders. Hmm. Welcome back to 
Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and today we're talking about um, food disorders, eating disorders. With us is the founder of Living Proof Minnesota, Shira uh, Sharpenter, and also uh, Journey Rogers. She's an ambassador with the program. And uh, welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Let's talk about the different types of um, eating disorders. I mean, what have you been diagnosed with and what's involved in that diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Um, I personally have been diagnosed with um, anorexia, uh, binge eating and bulimia, and then um, eating disorders non-specified. Oh, all of them. It was sort of a conglomeration at the end. Um, I do find that a lot of people that I work with have been diagnosed with multiple eating disorder diagnoses over the years, and so it does tend to sort of change and adapt. Um, a lot of people think eating disorders very, you know, sickly, skeleton-like people that are starving themselves, and really that's only 1% of the population with eating disorders. So most of the people are either at normal weight or even above normal weight and have eating disorders. Um, My diagnosis is OSFED. It's um, other specified food or eating disorder. Um, It kind of is like a catch-all for, you know, I don't fall into bulimia or anorexia, maybe like an atypical anorexia, which is... Um, a lot of the symptoms of normal anorexia at a higher weight. Um, and I remember there was a lot of confusion with that diagnosis because I had never heard of it. No one ever talks about it. Um, and, yeah, I just think that over the years I have, like, morphed from different areas, and then I started doing this, then I started doing this. And so it, it's like the same, you know, underlying feelings or causes, but it changes and it manifests in different ways. And and I was surprised at the um, uh, um, that every, once every um, 62 minutes someone dies from an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only second to opioid um, crisis in, in how this is actually reducing lifespans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty serious. You know, 30 million people in the U.S. and 70 million people worldwide have an eating disorder. And the numbers could be higher because there's a lot of people that never seek treatment, never get diagnosed um, because of the shame or, you know, social stigma. And this may seem like a silly question, but tell us why it's a problem. Why eating disorders yeah, are a problem? Yeah, why is it a problem? I mean, it's, why, why is it so... Why is it so um... Um, I think the prevalence is so high because of the pressure a lot of people are under. Uh, to perform a certain way or to be seen a certain way, um, to measure up to certain standards. Um, Nothing is ever good enough. You know, you can't please people enough. You compare yourself to other people. I mean, social media is extremely detrimental to people with depression and eating disorders uh, because... You know, you see the good. You see the going on trips and buying boats and getting a new house and having a baby. And if you're not in that life stage and that's not happening, then you're like, wow, what's wrong with me? You know, it must not be good enough. And the prevalence is just increasing. Yeah, like like you said, like you've got these kids who, you know, look at themselves and they're like, I'm fat. And I'm like, I don't understand how you even understand that like how can you even comprehend that you're like five years old or you're six years old and you know it's just growing and like this idea around food as a thing that people can control it's something that you need every day it's something you know that's essential and kind of this idea that 
you know, living up to these expectations that aren't necessarily even ex- expectations of you. You know, it's things that you create in your head that make sense. And then you're like, I can control it like this. I can fix this. I can do this. Um, and it all surrounds around food and it just blows up into this full-blown eating disorder that, you know, really ruins people's lives. Right, because um, I, I can remember a mother whose, you know, child is literally starving in front of her eyes and doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very terrifying. Um, I get, you know, a couple calls a week from parents reaching out trying to find resources for their kids. And they say that they just are terrified that they're they're going to you know, go into their child's room in the morning and they're going to be dead. And there is not, there's not like the end-all, be-all way of treating eating disorders, at least that I've found and even researched, is that, yes, we try our best and we have these methods, but a lot of people relapse, a lot of people never get better, a lot of people go in and out of treatment. And so, you know, are we really going in the right direction of treating eating disorders? Right. I mean, do we are we one size fits all humans? Is, does yeah. everyone fit in one little box? Is mm-hmm. it, and, and is that part of the problem is we almost have a culture that wants to have like a one size fits all approach? And I think it's almost interesting that with eating disorders, it's kind of put in this, this is the only thing that you can do to get better. Mm-hmm. And even still, you probably won't get better. You'll probably live with this your whole life, which, you know, for me as, you know, a 19-year-old going into treatment for the first time, you know, just like the budding of my life, like just starting out and being told that I'll never get better and that I have to live with this forever, um, it, you know, it caused a lot of depression, a lot of like suicidal ideation. It was really hard for me to comprehend living a life like that forever. Um, and like that's something that's really hard too for a lot of people with eating disorders is, you know, trying to wrap your head around like being told that, you know, you can come back and then you can leave and then you can go back to treatment and then you can, you know, do whatever, but they're, it's just... It's hopeless. Yeah. It's hopeless. It really this, is. this is what you are and you will always be it. Yeah. Pretty I much. mean, I made my first... Um, treatment center intake on my 19th birthday um and I was so miserable and so hopeless like I almost didn't like live to see that intake because I was like I can't imagine living like this forever or even you know a week more which was really hard for me for my family for my friends you know to like see me like feel like this and to be like you're so close just you know just make it this far and things will get better and then things don't get better and you know it's that's kind of one thing that really drew me to Shira and to Living Proof was this idea that you don't have to live with this forever like you can get better and you know it's possible recovery like a full recovery is possible like you don't have to live with this forever and that's why you named it Living Proof I did. Yes, I am very proud to wear this shirt that says, I am living proof. Mm-hmm. I don't have it on today, but it's one of the t-shirts that I have. And I just, I want to so give that shirt out to more people, you know, so that more people are living proof as well. And, you know, my goal for um, living proof MN is to have more people that are like journey, right? You know, walking the road to recovery and then inspiring other people to pursue recovery and being mentors and peer supports and just, 
you know, kind of shine the light that this disorder doesn't have to take your life. And so your big approach is to build community with each other. Mm-hmm. And so um, so you have a game night uh, coming up a Sunday, December 29th. Yep. So what happens with game night? We play games. <laughs> all the games. It's so much fun. Um, sometimes we play games, you know, at the end of groups or um, at support end of support groups. Or um, we do uh, Making Meaningful Memories the first weekend of every month. And... Um, we do different things. We've done. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to take a little break. <laughs> but if people want to find out about this, they can go to livingproofmn.com. We're going to take a break. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. A student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone looking forward to a purposeful year in 2020. And on today's show, we're talking with someone with living proof that what is one time a major problem for ourselves, we can transform and offer healing for others. Um, so with us is, Gen- is Shira um, Charpentier. Um, she is the founder of, of Living Proof MN and Journey Rogers, um, our ambassador for the program. And so let's talk about some of your offerings. This is a nonprofit. So you have a, a nonprofit, and it's it's really about building community around eating disorders. You are a registered nurse, mm-hmm. um, and you also have other day jobs. But this is kind of your passion to build this nonprofit, yes. which is really a community with ambassadors that reach out peer-to-peer, helping people who've experienced um, eating disorders. Absolutely. Yes. So the biggest thing is knowing that, A, you're not alone, and that there's hope, and there's healing, and... I, a lot of people say, well, I don't really know what I like to do. So that's kind of the basis of Living Proof MN is let's get out there and figure that out and let's do it together and let's try new things. And it's been really fun um, just seeing people's face light up the first time that they've done something. Cool. So if someone wants to go to game night, what should they do? Where is it located and that type of stuff? So right now, um, the support groups and some of the programming is offered out of my home in Bloomington. So, yes, there's a sign on the front of the door that says, Living Proof MN, you are worth it. And the door is always open. We are very open. We are waiting for people to just kind of say, hey, let me see what this is all about. So this game night is 3 to 5 on Sunday. And we'll be playing any and all sorts of games and bring your favorite game or we've got lots of games and lots of games. games. (laughs) (laughs) And then then, um, you also have um, some connections with um, experiential treatments. And one thing you talked about is that how writing was so therapeutic. And and you were told at one time that you always will have an eating disorder. And that's what the statistics say. 50 to 85 percent of the people. Once they have an eating disorder, it stays with them their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that you discovered was writing and some other therapies. You want to talk mm-hmm. about those? And- yeah. So writing was huge for me. I think just getting out some of those negative thoughts on paper and realizing I don't have to live with them anymore and I don't have to carry them forward with me was huge. Um, I also started horse therapy. I did um, more yoga. I became a yoga instructor, uh, laughter yoga. Um, healing touch, drumming. Um. <laughs> laughter yoga is a lot of fun. <laughs> laughter yoga. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about laughter. Can we do it right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what it is. You just start 
laughing. And, you know, you start out, it feels really awkward because it's like, why am I laughing? And then you look at everyone else being like, why are we laughing? And then it turns into this real laughter and it feels really good and your face hurts. And (laughs) it's a lot of fun. You know, it sounds super silly, but it is. And it feels good. Well, and it's it's at the same time that you're laughing, you're also really present to your own pain. Mm -hmm. And it's it's almost like like another way of of crying, right? Sometimes you do cry. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That's a good laugh. That's a really good laugh. Yeah, so tonight actually, um, well, I guess it's Friday, so right. it's in the air. But we're going to the Lake Harriet Spiritual Cultural Center, um, and it's going to be rum- drumming night. And so it's a, kind of a healing touch drumming circle. Um, so if there's ever an interest that you have that you're interested in pursuing or trying something new, you know, feel free to send a request, and we try to honor people's wishes. Now, you also mentioned something like forest bathing and um, getting out in nature and being with other animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think nature is super healing. Um, this summer, we're planning on taking two trips up to the Boundary Waters with two different groups that are a little bit further along in the recovery. And, you know, being out in nature, away from technology, away from, you know, TV and the social norms and all that, and just sort of being real and kind of taking off the mask and just being kind of in the dirt. Uh, Forest bathing is about really just being immersed in the trees and realizing that there's a lot of um, life within the trees and the forests. And I don't think we're always moving so fast that we don't even get to really realize the life that's there. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. So. Yeah, it sounds fun. And, um, and um, tell us a little bit about what's the um, what's your financial model for this? Um, how much does this stuff all cost? Well, um, so we do take donations. Um, my husband and I are working on writing grant proposals. Um, well, hopefully, looking for some corporate sponsorships. But right now, it, all of the groups and all of the events are free of charge um, or nominal, you know, donation based. And we don't turn anyone away and kind of go with the flow, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, going with the flow. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's powerful because, I mean, there is, it, you know, there's a lot of money being spent on helping people with eating disorders. There's I a mean, lot. Any idea? On, I mean, oh. there's, there's a lot of money being spent on eating disorders, but, but so much of it is, what's, what actually sits behind? If we, earlier you were talking about those five questions. Mm-hmm. What sits behind um, a lot of these eating disorders? I mean, again, it's 50% of it, it is genetic, mm-hmm. so I don't want to simplify it mm-hmm. either because everything, it is complex. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with self-worth and, um, like I said, sort of comparing and measuring up. So, you know, when people come and say, I don't even know if I have an eating disorder, and I say, well, what is your relationship with food? Well, if I eat a certain thing, then I feel bad about myself. That is a major sign of an eating disorder, right? It's not normal to feel bad about eating something. Um, and one of the things, yeah, so, yeah, it's not normal to feel bad about eating something, but a lot of us experience that all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's almost normalized, you know, this idea that, you know, you have to earn Thanksgiving dinner when you should just be having a good time with your family or especially around the holidays. It's really hard for people with eating disorders, you know, to, you know, feel safe to be with their family. A lot of people, you know, will avoid it 
being with their family. I used to work on holidays just so I wouldn't have to eat with my family because I was like, and I worked in a restaurant. Like it was just, <laughs> you know, and that was always so hard for me. It was, I was actually like terrified of, you know, going home and having to eat with my family. Let's talk about tips that we can give people uh, for people who are around people that may have eating disorders. Um, I know. Yeah, one of the biggest things is when there's food present, not, not, not talking about the food and talking about something else. Um, you know, taking the f- emphasis off food and bringing it to life and, you know, what your interests are and your hobbies and, you know, not commenting on someone's weight or size or, you know, instead, yeah. g- gosh, I just love when I see you just make my, you know, my face light up or... You know, your eyes are so beautiful. Or yeah, there are so many more compliments that you can give people or, you know, when you haven't seen them in a long time. Right. Oh, for, you've lost oh, weight. Oh, you've gained weight. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. And it's just, yeah, exactly. You could be like, oh, you've lost weight. You look so good. Well, you know, they could be severely depressed and they couldn't, you know, not eating. And that could be a reason they lost weight. They could be, you know, they could be sick. They could have an illness. And it's just automatically seen as like, oh, you're healthier when that not isn't always the case. And a lot of times isn't, you know. A lot of times people push themselves so hard that to a place where they're unhealthy, but because they've lost weight, they're, you know, seen as better than they were before. And one of the tips is uh, if, if, if something's happening, the, the time not to talk about food disorders is when people are at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I wanted to talk about some of these specific ones. Um, and one that people may be less familiar with is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Do you want to say what that's about? Um, so ARFID is... Um, probably most common in children and um, those on the spectrum. Um, it is kind of this extreme picky eating to like to the point of malnourishment. Um, it um, can manif- it there's yeah. a lot of reasons that it can happen. Um, I've heard people um, it developed after, you know, choking. And then they were afraid that any time they ate something similar to that or ate that food, they would choke. And so then they get afraid of it or that they'll get a stomachache from it or, you know, and it just builds to, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get a stomachache from everything. So everything is scary. When um, I think of some of the standard parenting advice, and, and it can drive me nuts, you know, you got a very, very picky eater and they only want mac and cheese. It's like you give them broccoli and then you beat them up until they eat the broccoli. You know, <laughs> And you were telling some horror stories about that, actually, that people, uh, some parents, you know, and their intentions may be right. good, but they really got the wrong message. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of parents are just scared and they don't know what to do because it's like, Oh, like a kid who might be picky when they're younger and then all of a sudden they're 15 and won't eat any vegetables or fruit and you're just kind of like, I don't know what to do, you know, and a lot of times it's a really confusing place for parents to be in and, um, you know, and then you notice like, oh, they're eating they won't let their food touch, you know, which is a normal mm-hmm. thing for, I think a lot of people are like, ah, I don't want my food to touch. <laughs> um, but then it like gets to the point where they won't eat things of certain textures or certain colors and it just changes and it suddenly there's more things that they won't eat that maybe they used to. Um, and that's kind of when you're like, okay, we need to do something different. And a lot of times, you know, just trying to force the kid to do it isn't going to work. <laughs> right. And actually, the, the, when when you do force it, that can have like, some negative consequences, right? Yeah, yeah that, that can create like backfire. a trauma response to the food. And then, you know, when they're not, you know, living at home and, 
you know, say they're, you know, they're 15 and then they're 18 and they move out and they go to college and they're like, I can't eat any of this. Like, this all has, like, bad, you know, memories from it and it just kind of builds to this, you know, and then you have, you know, a child or a teen or an adult who's severely malnourished because they're not necessarily afraid of, you know, gaining weight. Um, a lot of times that doesn't, you know, isn't a part of ARFID. It's, or like the body image part, it's kind of, what will this food do to me? Or I'm too afraid to eat this. So the big tips for people who, parents that may be their kids eating fussy and what should they do? I mean, I actually think gardening is kind of a solution, you know, because I think then it kind of, you know, it's it, it can expose people. But, but, um, but what other tips might you have? I think one of the biggest things is modeling the behavior that you're looking for, right? So it, kind of taking an inventory of your own eating habits, right? So what, are you, what messages are you giving to your kids? Um, you know, how often are you eating? What are you eating? Are you telling yourself, oh, I can't have that because I already ate something or oh, wow, I can reward myself because I did so well today or I went to the gym or <laughs> I didn't eat this three days in a row, so now I can eat it. So it's, you know, kids right. are very, very intuitive and they pick up things. So actually kind of taking a moment and as a parent and saying, wow, what messages am I actually kind of portraying to my child? And and a lot of it is, and I think that's what you said with Living Proof, is to get into the heart and the soul of of the um, what sits behind all these mm -hmm. issues and, and how to have a thriving, living life mm -hmm. um, sort of um, outside of the conditioning or, or with agency and the conditioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really firmly believe uh, working on those um, beliefs and kind of turning them more into positive or at least neutral. Um, you know, if you don't even believe it in the beginning, that's all right. Fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> um, you know, it just kind of taking the pressure off yourself. Great. Well, taking your pressure off yourself. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking about Living Proof Minnesota, um, MN, um, from eating disorders to recovery. Uh, in studio with us is Journey Rogers. She's an ambassador for the, uh, an ambassador for the program, and Shara Charpentier is the founder of the program. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. I'm Laura Headland, and I have to start with an apology to Journey because I used uh, the wrong pronoun, and and I I, I, uh, I really would love for us to have that other pronoun, which which might be, um, and we can do a they or them or a z. Um, I prefer they them. Um, different people use different pronouns for you know non-binary, non-gender conforming people. Um, it's just kind of a big part of my identity and my identity outside of my eating disorder that I've really curated over the past couple of years. And that freedom to find our own voice in a society that sort of wants to imprison us in other ways, right? You've got to be Miss Perfect or all these other things. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what Living Proof is about. Oh, yeah. It's about finding who you are, what you like, and realizing that there's more to life than the weight, your old stories, um, the shame, and it's really about, you know, embracing the new and moving forward. And even when we've experienced serious traumas in our life. Now, uh, people who have experienced child abuse are like three times more likely to have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And you self-identified as that. Mm -hmm. So part of the recovering from the eating disorder is also recovery from that child abuse. Those are linked. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I, um, like I, you know, like I said earlier, I grew up in a home with uh, physical abuse, and you know, I came to terms with, yep, this happened, but it doesn't mean I need to perpetuate that, you know, hatred upon myself anymore. And that pain. <laughs> and the pain. Yeah, you know, a lot of the eating disorder was hurting myself just time and time and time again and got me nowhere <laughs> and I don't want to live like that anymore and there's no reason to so getting better and moving on and realizing yeah we do have a past but we can create our new future and that that's empowering absolutely and so tell us um, more about how people can get more information about this and um... yeah so the website is www livingproofmn.com and you are welcome to a free consultation and no obligation just kind of talk about where you're at where you'd like to see yourself um, kind of what the roadblocks are uh, there's programming there's events there's support groups we even have zoom support groups for people that are out of state or can't drive and um, also, my husband started a podcast called Welcome to My World, supporting somebody with an eating disorder. Um, we've been taking people into our home for symptom interruption and sort of modeling, you know, good, uh, you know, I guess not good, but uh, more normalized eating patterns. And it's been uh, really eye-opening for my husband. So he started the podcast just kind of like you said, how do we teach parents or how do we uh, tell people what would be helpful? Yeah, I follow his um, podcast on Spotify. You can find it a lot of places. It's actually really interesting. Yeah, and it's fun to get out in space. And I love the way he ends it, love and be loved, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, love other people and let yourself be loved. Let yourself be loved. Yeah, Which right? It's a huge part. <laughs> yeah, I know for me a lot of times it was I felt that I had to earn the love. But, you know, by being human, people will love you and you will love other people and you don't have to look a certain way to you know earn it yeah and you know you have a you have a blog on on, on your website where you talk about your dogs mm -hmm. and and oh, how the dogs are i do too i do too the dogs are a little different because i mean i haven't thought of could you imagine if we treated our dogs like we treat each other i mean the facebook oh look at that right <laughs> but uh, but so it's it's uh, that that again is that living proof of just um, coming being, into our natural yeah. selves or being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of my dogs does have anxiety, right? And um, the other one is just very carefree and just happy-go-lucky. And, yeah, just huge, big, you know, fur ball. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was part of the blog is I was taking them for a walk, and I realized, like, their two different personalities were just right in front of my face. And I was like, you know what? They're just okay with who they are, and yet they sort of blend when they play together. So they kind of give off some of the, you know, anxiety and then the other one's like, oh, I'll come play with you. Don't be so anxious. And <laughs> and so, I mean, it's like, how can we do that with other people? How can we do that for ourselves? You know, let's not lock ourselves into one type of personality. Right, right. Um, I, I'm going to ask, you to ask this, what, what's your idea of food freedom? Kind of, for me, it's being able to eat things I like and to try things that I don't know if I like and to be okay if I don't like it or if I do. <laughs> um, and just kind of this idea that I can go out with friends and eat pizza and do whatever I want and I'm not thinking about food and food's not, you know, the ideas and the thoughts and the constant racing isn't like shackling me down and making me feel, you know, like I'm some quiet introverted person when really I 
and very outgoing and you know and food is kind of the idea the thoughts around food is really muted parts of my personality that have really come out you know in the past you know year few months it's been great actually <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah for me fr- food freedom is um being more intuitive listening to my body letting myself understand what i need and not labeling food and food is just food and being being okay with sort of what the day unfolds and how you know my body responds to food and also like journey said you know going out with friends uh trying new things um just being more open, just being more available to what's um, out in the world. More present. Yeah. More present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is um, healing, because um, I mean we, I don't know why we have such a this this culture that we do, but when we talk about forty percent of nine and ten year old girls are dieting, mm-hmm. I mean that's that's a really um, you know what what messages are we getting and what messages are we giving to each other when when that's the case. And, and again, every 62 minutes, someone dies from an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of you have dealt with eating disorders and the treatment system that was responding to you. And um, are there areas for improvement um, within our systems? I think so. I mean, I hope so, right? Because yeah. my goal is to have more people living in recovery than dying from an eating disorder. Um, and, you know, I'm starting small. And Living Proof is just working on creating, like I said, creating an environment for change, modeling behavior, uh, showing people what recovery recovery looks like, um, and giving people hope. And that, you know, healing is possible on all different levels. Um, yeah. yeah. Hope well, is a big thing for, you know, me especially. Um, just kind of this hope that things can be different and that I can be happy and food doesn't have to be, you know, everything. Right. I love that word hope and sticking to that word hope. And especially when we, it's, it's not hope to lose that last, you know, I'm going to lose this weight and then I, then everything's going to be good because it's, it's a different type of hope, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How would you describe that hope? The hope is different in the sense of like, it feels more like integral to my being and like being okay with who I am and living a life that is worth living and um, just doing what I can to help others find the light and, you know, see things as possible. See, they keep the love life burning. So you've been listening to Food Freedom Radio with us has been uh, livingproofmn.com. Um, thank you so much, Journey Rogers and Shara Charpentier uh, for joining us. And thank you for listening. Have a wonderful year and happy thank new you. year. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's pretty good